0: It's very good to be back. As I said, we've been on a a two-week trip with our family and just had a wonderful time experiencing um, God's creation and getting to see some beautiful country. Um, So uh, we missed you, um, and it's always always good to be home. And I just, uh, as I was gone away, I think I was in Amarillo, Texas. We never made it to Amarillo by morning. We, we never could. It's like on the way out there, we're like, we're going to make it to Amarillo by morning. We couldn't make it. It's like in the middle of nowhere. On the way back, we're like, we're going to make it to Amarillo. And then we had a flat tire and had to stay the night somewhere. I think we stayed the night in Amarillo, actually. So we made it there by nighttime. Um, but I was in Amarillo, Texas, and God placed this scripture on my heart to share with you today. And it's in, it's in the book of Micah chapter six. And you're probably familiar with Micah six, eight. It's one of those uh, kind of. Magnet verses that you put on a refrigerator, or bumper bumper sticker verses, um, and it basically asks a question: What does the Lord require of you? Um, and I thought, you know what? That's that's a good question. I think sometimes we make our relationship with God more complicated than it has to be. Um, today's message, in my in my estimation, is is really simple. It's not complicated, but if it were. You know, it's not it's not that our relationship with God being simple makes it easy, though. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy. It is simple and it is true, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's always easy. And I'm living testimony of that because I have not always lived in the way that what God has required of me. And I think probably most of you out there would have to agree that we struggle with that sometimes. But it's good to be reminded of what God does expect. And so in Micah chapter 6, we're just going to spend some time here uh, looking at a few verses, and I just have a a really simple message that I hope will be very encouraging to you as as much as it was uh, to me as I prepared it. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there to Micah 6. I'm going to just read the first eight verses, uh, just kind of to set the context. We're really going to focus in on the last uh, seven and eight, but let's look at, Micah 6.1, it says, Hear what the Lord says. Arise and plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. O oh, my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery. And I sent before you Moses, Aaron and Miriam. O my people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, devised and Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. What happened? What happened at Shittim and Gilgal that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. So God's just kind of bringing to remembrance how he has been faithful, how he delivered them out of Egypt, how he was faithful to them all the way through the Exodus and leading them into the promised land. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Let's pray. Uh, Father, help me to do this passage uh, justice today, uh, to share it in a way that's simple and true and easy to understand. But most of all, Lord, that we would not just be hearers, Lord, of this word, but doers. Thank you for the cross where all of our sin was dealt with so that we could receive forgiveness and mercy as you are merciful God. And it it gives us hope, Lord, that even when we fail you and, and we blow it, which we often do, that there is still a sacrifice for sin. And that sacrifice is eternal, sufficient, unending, And, Lord, um, it's all that we need um, to be reminded that you love us. Thank you for that. And we just pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' holy and perfect name. Amen. Amen. I don't know how many of you have ever studied the book of Micah. You know, the the prophets themselves, especially the the minor prophets, the shorter prophetic books in the Bible, they often get ignored and and they don't get a lot of attention. So I just want to give you a little bit of background about Micah. Micah was a prophet. He... Primarily, he actually prophesied to both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Y'all remember after King Solomon died, what happened to the kingdom of Israel? It split. It broke into two separate nations. And many of the prophets were sent to bring, to call either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom back to the Lord. Because unfortunately, the history of the people of God has been a history of rebellion and idolatry and Stubbornness and sinfulness and sounds a lot like who? Sounds a lot like us, right? And so God sent the prophets to continually call his people back to him. And so Micah was a prophet who he gave warnings to both the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. So he was speaking to both nations, speaking to individuals on a personal level, but also calling the entire nation to repent and turn back to God as as God's people continue to stray away from him and live in rebellion and unbelief and, and, and develop these patterns of unfaithfulness, the prophets were there to say, repent, come back. God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. All you have to do is stop what you're doing, turn away from these other gods and idols that you're going after, and just come back to me. He's there. He wants a relationship. He wants to be restored. That's the message. It's still the message of the gospel today. Micah had uh, some of his contemporaries were prophets Isaiah, Hosea, and Amos. So when you're reading some of those prophets, they're basically talking about the same time period, some of the same um, uh, people groups that they were uh, ministering to during their time in their prophetic ministries. Uh, some of the things that Micah did was, uh, again, offering these warnings of, uh, and calling the, the people of God back to repentance. He emphasized God's justice and discipline. In other words, you know, God's word to his people is, you know, if you continue to go down this path, it's not going to end well for you. There's going to be pain at the end of this path of sin. And God many times would give that warning, knowing that the people were going to continue to head down that path. And he used the consequences of that as discipline to bring them back because God loves his people. And sometimes we it's hard for us to accept the discipline of the Lord. Much many times we bring that discipline on who? On ourselves. But he uses that to bring us, to get our attention, hopefully, and to bring us back. And that's kind of what Micah is talking about here in his prophetic ministry. Um, He's also reminding his people of a future restoration. um, That God's there always promising the future restoration of all of his people. That's what we look forward to. We are waiting the kingdom. We're waiting for Christ the king to come where he will make everything what? New. He will, he will renew everything and we will finally get to enjoy this, this kingdom of heaven, this kingdom on earth that we've all been waiting for. This really what we all desire and what we want. Amen. And that's, that's one of the things that the prophet Micah reminds us of. So let's look, at, let's look at Micah 6. And I just want to focus in real quick on verse 7. Because it really jumped out, I don't know if it jumped out to you when, you, when I was reading this to you. So we're going we're to look at three very simple things that God expects of us today, okay? But there's one major essential thing we need to get squared away before we can do that. Is that what, what we're going to be talking about today are the three, three things that God gives us that he's expecting us, he's requiring of his people, people who are in a relationship with him. This message really is not for uh, people who are outside of a relationship with God. You know, can we really expect the world or or a rebellious, sinful world, people who who give no thought to God, who are living their lives in total, utter rebellion, who who really have nothing to do with God or, or the things of God whatsoever, can we really expect them to live lives that God requires? Should we? I don't think so. That would be an unfair and unrealistic expectation. In other words, if we're going to turn around and look at the culture and the world around us and point our finger at them and say, oh, it's just, you know, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. If it wasn't for all those sinners out there and all the, the, the godless culture that we live in, you know, our world would be in a better place. But you know what? God is constantly calling his people to look at who? Ourselves. It's easy for us to point the finger at the culture and at the world and everything that's wrong with our world today, But it's so hard to look at ourselves in the mirror and have to admit that there's something wrong with us. That we are fallen, that we're not perfect, that we struggle, and we still let God down and each other down. And maybe if we live according to what the scripture says is that where does judgment begin? The book of Peter says that judgment begins where? With the household of God. Like we've got to examine ourselves first get ourselves right first, and then we can make an impact and have an effect on the people in the world around us. And that's part of what's happening here in the book of Micah. But it really stood out to me in verse 7. If you didn't catch that, look at Micah 6-7. Before we jump into these things that are required of us, look at what he says. So he's asking rhetorical questions, right? And he says in verse 7, Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams... Tens of thousands of rivers of oil. Now look at what he says. Shall I give my firstborn son for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. Now what's the answer to that question? Is there anything we can give or do or sacrifice that's going to earn our forgiveness with God? Nothing. You can't even give your own son. Sacrifice your son. Because see, there's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to make that right. To, to, to cover the guilt that we have before God. To earn any type of forgiveness that we are looking for to be made right. To be brought back into this right relationship with God. You see the problem with that is, is that sinners cannot save other sinners. And we certainly cannot save ourselves. Amen. But what if we weren't willing to give up necessarily our only son or the fruit of our womb, to save our soul. But what if God were? That's a different story, right? And isn't that what the gospel is all about? For God so loved the world that he gave his what? Only, Only one and only son. That whoever would believe in him will not what? Perish, but has everlasting life. So right there tucked away in this rhetorical question, and, and you know, the Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit does with the Scripture, I think God is basically in, implanting a message to us here saying, no, there's nothing you and I can do to save ourselves. There's nothing we can sacrifice enough to be made right with God. But what if He was the one that sacrificed Himself? And He did it on whose behalf? On our behalf. Now that's a different story, because that's the sacrifice that is sufficient that's the sacrifice that can make us right with god and that's the ultimate sacrifice that that by the father given his only son to carry the weight and penalty of our sin he made it possible for you and for me to be forgiven to be brought back into a relationship with god and guys that is what matters most if anything you know i I talked to my wife, Abby, and she tells me how her mom, Miss Mary, my mother-in-law, the one thing that she taught her all throughout her years, going to church and and being part of a church and all that kind of stuff, the one thing that matters most is a a what? Relationship with God. That's all that matters. What's your relationship with God like? It's not about religion. It's not about going to church. It's not about the do's and the don'ts because all of that stuff takes care of itself when you have a what? When you have a relationship with God. When you have a love for God and you understand his love for you. See, that's the motivation that begins to bear itself out in how we live and what's important to us in our life. So the first thing that that we need to address before we go into what God requires of us is what is your relationship with God like? And I I want you to know that you can have a relationship with God through Christ. There's only one way to have a true relationship with God. God's provided that way. He's told us of that way. Jesus came to make a way for us. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So if you're here today and you don't have that relationship with God, nothing in this message really matters until you know for sure that you can have that. That God loves you, he sent his son to die for you, and that he can forgive you, he will forgive you, and he wants to have that relationship with you. Now, once you're in that relationship with him, there's three things in this passage that God requires. And I'm going to use the word expects. Either way, it's fine, but there are expectations. In other words, are there expectations in our relationships, humanly speaking? You think about, I think about marriage vows. When you come to, to marry someone, you, you have expectations, right? There's there's expectations, there's requirements, there's, there's, there's things that we're counting on one another to fulfill. Well, God, our relationship with God is really no different. He says, I want a relationship with you. Now that we have this relationship, let me help you understand what it means to love me and to live for me, and I can share with you what it means to serve me and to worship me and to honor me with your life. And he says, what does God require of you, O oh man? Three simple things. To do justice, to love what? Mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So let's let's unpack that together. The first thing is to do justice or to do that which is right. I want you to think back for a minute through some of the worst mistakes in your life. I've had to think back through many of the mistakes of my life. And if I had just done what is right, think about all the trouble and pain and consequences you could and I could have avoided. I told you that it was simple, right? Just do what's right but is it always easy no it's not it should be it's really simple and this is what god's telling us through micah he's saying just do what is right he uses a word here in hebrew is called mishpat it means it means judgment or justice this word is used over 400 times in the bible and so what God is basically saying here is, he okay, once you're in this covenant relationship with me, now we're in this together. There are expectations for you to keep. There are rules for you to honor. And so he's given us his commandments, right? I mean, this is where it all comes down to. We talk about God's commandments. We, sometimes it's called his law. We call it his Torah. There's another word for it. And what this is, guys, is that these are just God's moral guidelines, his good instructions, and these he gave to us to promote. Listen to me. He gave these things, these moral um, guidelines, these commandments, these um, instructions to us. He gave them to us for our good, for our blessing. He gave them to us for joy and for happiness. He's basically trying to teach us what his eternal value system is it's just like everybody has a value system in their home when you when you're raising children right you don't you don't bite your brother you don't knock your sister in the head you you know you, you obey your parents you do these and if you'll just do these simple things and we don't have to have all these necessary rules but you treat others like you want to be treated you you always tell the truth you do these things that we talk about in our home and when you do these things guess what everybody's what everybody's happy everything's good But when we don't do these things and we break these rules, that's when trouble comes in. That's when pain and hurt and suffering and broken relationships and all of those things come in. And God's saying the very same thing. He's saying, listen, I've given you what it is. I've shown you what it is to do good, what it is to be right. I've given you my instructions, my standards. That's what he's called his law or his commandments. Now, here's what's important about this. He expects us to live righteously and to do what is right. But in order for us to know what is right and from what is wrong, we might need to what? We got to read the word. Amen. Now, are there some things that we are innately born with just by our, our normal conscience? We, we do know we do have some sense of right or wrong. But if we were to look at the world and everything that's wrong with our world, guys, it's very simple. Again, I told you, it's very simple. You look at the world around us and even in our own lives and anything that is wrong or evil or messed up in our broken world today, it is simply because we have deviated and broken his what? Broken his commandments. The Bible's definition of sin is that when we transgress his law, when we break the law, that's sin. And the wages of sin is what? And all the pain and suffering and death in our life today simply comes down to the fact that we as individuals and collectively have broken God's law. Now, do you think there's a correlation? I'm just going to say this because I think it's important to me. Is that many times, and especially in churches just like this, we forget about the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah, the commandments. And more and more churches, with the more we have forgotten God's commandments and his standards and his morals and his guidelines... It seems like our culture and our communities and our neighborhoods have drifted further away from God. I think there's a correlation there. Maybe we need to get back to understanding God's word. Now listen, it's not just enough to read his word and to know what his commandments are, but then we have to what? We've got to do them. Obey them. Heed the word. That's where I've gotten myself messed up so many times. I knew what was right, but I did what was wrong anyway. I knew what the word said. I didn't obey it. I didn't put it into practice. That's where our pain and our suffering comes from. So let's talk about this for just a second. Let's talk about why is obedience better than sacrifice? Remember what Micah was asking. He was saying, how many offerings can we bring to get right with God? Are there enough offerings we could bring, sacrifices? There aren't enough. That's why I'm saying, okay, well, what does God require? Well, just do right. Just just do the right thing according to God's word. Let me ask you the question. Why is obedience better than sacrifice? Have you ever thought about this? Well, what's the whole point of bringing a sacrifice to begin with? It's because we've been what? Disobedient. So if you're obedient to begin with, there is no need for a sacrifice that's why God is trying to tell us just do what is right and then there's no need for you to have to make up for it or bring some kind of sacrifice to try to get your conscience cleared or to try to you know atone for your guilt if we just do what is right there's no need for sacrifice let me share a couple of verses with you turn with me real quick to Mark chapter 12 I'm going to show you something that Jesus said Jesus spoke about this in Mark 12, in verse 33. Listen to what he says. I think I'm in the right place. That's not the right place. I'll read it anyway. Yeah, there it is. Okay. You're right. Thank you. I just didn't read far enough. So look at this, Mark. I'll back up to verse um, verse 32. So Jesus is having a, uh, a discussion with the scribe about the greatest commandment. You know, you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart. Look at verse 32. And the scribe said, You are right, teacher. You've truly said he is one, and there's no other beside him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is much more than all the whole burnt offerings and... Sacrifices. Amen. So to love God and to love our neighbor and to be obedient is better than sacrifice. Samuel said something very similar. Let me share that with you real quick in 1 Samuel 15. This is where King Saul has been rejected by God because he didn't obey. And again, King Saul, he disobeyed God and then he thought he could just. Make sacrifices and be right. And, and, and Samuel had to tell him, listen, I'm sorry, but you should have obeyed. And, and the kingdom has been stripped away from you because of this. And listen to what he says in 1 Samuel 15. He says, Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight in birth, burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Amen. Just do what is right. It's simple, right? So what's the opposite of righteousness or justice? The opposite is, is sin. So when we, when we miss the mark, we transgress, we break God's commandments. And that is where all the pain and the hurt and the suffering and the consequences of our life comes in. Um, have you ever heard it said that there's never a wrong time to do the right thing? Some of you may be struggling with where you are right now. Maybe you have blown it. Maybe you, maybe you are struggling with a season of disobedience or rebellion. And you're saying, well, I just can't, I can't move past it. I don't know how to get through it. And sometimes we just need to do the next right thing. Right. One day at a time. Do the next right thing. Don't worry about the regrets of the past. Don't worry about the consequences of the future. God's going to help you. You're going to work that out. Just do the next right thing. Because there's never a wrong time to do the right thing. All right, so let's talk about this real quick before I, I move on. So we know that as believers and children of God, that we're in a relationship with God, and he's telling us, what does God require of you? Just do the right thing, right? Do justice. be Make wise choices. Make good choices. So what happens when we don't? What do we do then? Do we just... Do we give up? Do we live in perpetual guilt and shame and say we're worthless and we'll never be good enough? Is that what God would want us to do? No. You know what we do? We run where? We run right back to the cross. Because last time I checked, when Jesus was willing to lay his life down for us, his death was sufficient. For not our sin yesterday, not just our sin today, but our sin forever. Amen. All of our sin was covered at the cross. Thank you, Lord. That's not so that we take advantage of God's grace and say, Oh, well, Jesus paid for all my sins, so it's okay if I just go out and blow it. No, that's not what he did that for. But it is for the fact that when we do blow it, and we do fall short, and we do fail him, and we will, Amen. we always have a sacrifice. We always have a cross to turn back to. That's good news. Listen to some of the scriptures. This will help you, right? Because remember, we're in a relationship. What does God require of us? Just do right. Well, Lord, I blew it. Okay? There's a proper way to deal with that. And he tells us how. Listen to 1 John. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. Okay, so there's a promise that what do we do when we blow it, when we fail God, when we don't do what is right, when we break God's commandments. First of all, we just need to what? Confess. Why Why does God want us to confess? He already knows what we did. He knows, we know. So what is the value in us agreeing with him about what we did? How many parents out there, your son, your daughter, did something wrong, broke a rule, they know they did it, you know they did it, all you want them to do is what? Just admit it. I just want to hear you say to me, I already know what you did, I just want you to confess to me what you did. You know what that does? You know why God wants us to do that? Because that's part of restoring the what? The relationship. It's about a relationship. It's not about me Proving that I'm right or proving that you're wrong its just it's opening the communication back up to say, you know what? We're in a relationship together. I just need to hear you confess and admit that what you did was wrong and then we'll deal with it together. Let me tell you what what uh, first John chapter two says. Listen to this. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. Do justice. Right. But if anyone does sin, who's in that category? We have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. We remember the cross. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. By this, we can be sure that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Anyone who says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So basically, John is reminding us that we have an advocate. We have a sacrifice, we have a Savior. That when we do sin, and we're going to sin, because remember, he said, if any of us say that we are not, we do not have sin, we're what? We're a liar. <laughs> we're lying. But we have to remember the cross. We confess our sin before God, we turn back to the cross, and that through Christ we can be restored and forgiven, and we can be brought back and restored into that relationship. That's very important that we need to remember that. So let's talk justice, to do justice, to do that which is right. The the true definition of justice is to get what we deserve. Everybody likes justice when the other party is the offending party. We want them to have to experience what? Justice. Nobody likes justice when we're the guilty party. Because what are we begging for? We're begging for mercy. That's the second thing today. Just do what is right and love mercy. Love mercy. Look at what Micah says. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justice and to love mercy or to love kindness. This is a, a Hebrew word. It's called kased. It's a very interesting word. It has many different meanings. It can mean favor or loving kindness. It's an unconditional expression of patience that someone does not deserve. That's the big key here. So if justice is that we get what we deserve, what is mercy? That we do not get what we deserve. Don't you thank God today that he is a merciful God? That he does not deal with us according to what our sins deserve and it's all because of what jesus did on the cross for us he is able to show us mercy because of what jesus did for us on the cross because where was justice satisfied it was on the cross there has to be a payment for sin there has to be equal payment justice for sin, and so because Jesus went to the cross on our behalf, and that is where God dealt with our sin, and justice was served there on the cross. Then He was able to turn around and show us what mercy. Have mercy, Lord Jesus. I have a, a good friend of mine. He's a, a he was a fellow pastor in Holly Springs, Mississippi, and um, his name's Telsa DeBerry. I haven't talked to Telsa in a long time, but he told me a story about his mother. His mother was up in age. She was having a cardiac episode or something. They called the ambulance. Uh, He was able to get there right before she passed away. And she was a faithful woman her whole life. Um, And he said, the last words that came out of her mouth was, Lord Jesus, have mercy. Lord Jesus, have mercy. It's not a bad way to go. So we have this idea of mercy here. And so in... Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, you've probably heard this. It's some of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Listen to what the Bible says. Because of the loving devotion of the Lord, we are not consumed. For His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. When Jesus was speaking his sermon on the mount, he said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive what? They will receive mercy. You see, guys, when we understand how merciful God has been to us, that will naturally translate in how we show mercy to other people. Now, what's the opposite of mercy? Vengeance vengeance so if God wants us to love mercy he's basically reminding us that vengeance has no place in the people of God is it our place to repay evil for evil is it our place to take revenge is it our place to get even it's not listen to what the word says Leviticus nineteen eighteen. do not seek revenge Or bear a grudge against any of your people, but love your neighbor as yourself, for I am the Lord. Listen to Romans 12. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Carefully consider what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, on your part, live at peace with everyone. Listen to verse 19. Do not avenge yourselves, beloved. Listen to this. But leave room for God's wrath. For it is written... Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Sometimes we want to take vengeance. Sometimes we want to take revenge. That's a natural human tendency. But God says don't do it because it's not your place. We have to believe that in the end, who's going to take care of everything? God's going to take care of everything. Who gets away with anything? Nobody gets away with anything. Now, it may, we may perceive or it may appear like people get away with things in this life. But this life is but a what? It's just a vapor. You get 60, 70, maybe 80 years, and then every man must die once and then comes the what? Judgment. The judgment. We all have to stand before God. God's saying, don't take vengeance out on other people because when you do that, you give in to the hate. But Lord, you don't understand what this person did to me. If you, uh-uh. He said, no. When you take vengeance on this other person and you, you show that anger and that hatred towards that other person, you are allowing evil to overcome. He says, overcome evil with what? With good. And he says, leave room. In other words, let me have my chance to deal with everybody according to what they deserve. It's not our place. That's why we should be merciful people. Is it easy? It's simple, though. But it's not easy. We need a lot of help with that. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit. We have brothers and sisters in Christ. Hopefully we have good teaching that reminds us that we are to be merciful people, to love mercy. Again, we're going to love mercy as much as we understand how merciful God has been to us. And he has been infinitely merciful to us. So do what is right, love mercy, and what's the last one? Walk humbly. To walk humbly with your God. So let's talk about humility. The man that has to tell you that he's humble is not. Amen. Humility is one of those tricky things that we think sometimes we might be humble or we might have a handle on humility. But pride is So subtle. And and pride manifests itself in our life in so many different ways. You don't have to be a a loud mouth, arrogant, you know, outwardly outspoken person to be proud. You can be very quiet and subdued and reserved and be proud. Because pride manifests where? In the heart. And it's a very, very tricky, dangerous, very subtle. and, And if we're not careful, we can let pride... Find its home, make its home in our heart. And and the Lord is reminding us here that, yeah, I want you to do what's right. I want you to love mercy. But guys, we have got to learn to what? Walk humbly. When you you hear the word walk in scripture, it, it just really means this is the natural expression of your life. How you walk, how you carry yourself, what what your attitude is like in life. And God wants us to remain humble. Now, again, just like mercy, we're going to be as merciful as we understand God's mercy toward us. We're only going to be as humble as we understand who we are in light of who? In light of Him. It's when we begin to look at ourselves as being, you know, elevating ourselves more highly than we should and not understanding who we are in perspective of who God is that is when pride begins to creep into our life so humility is a proper perspective in view of God and a proper attitude towards our fellow man listen to this in 1 Peter chapter 5 it says young men in the same way submit yourselves to elders to your elders and all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but he gives grace to the humble humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand so that in due time he may exalt you that's the scariest verse in all of scripture to me he doesn't say God ignores the proud he doesn't say God dismisses the proud. He doesn't say God forgets about the proud. He says what? God opposes the proud. So when we're proud, when we're operating out of an attitude of pride, who's working against us? God is. That should scare you. It scares me to death. Out of all the times of my life when I was operating out of a proud heart, having an attitude of pride, I was only hurting not only others, but I was hurting myself because God was actively working against me in those moments. It's one thing for God to leave us alone. It's a whole other thing altogether for him to be working against us. But he gives grace to who? He gives grace to the humble. What did Jesus say? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you know what I think part of this whole life is about? Remember what I said earlier that that which we desire the most is heaven? Like, like what do we, what we want out of this life and we're, so, we're not quite satisfied with and we struggle with and the pain and the suffering and the struggle and the problems and all the heartache and all the stuff that we, we deal with in this life? And we're like, I just wish it were like this. I just wish everything were good. I just wish that there was no more pain. I wish there was no more struggle, no more suffering. Do you know what that is, guys? That's called heaven. That's what heaven's going to be like. It's not here. We get to experience that one day, but it's not here. Now, we we still have God. We still have joy. There's still beautiful things about this life. God is with us. He hasn't left us. He's going to be with us through it all. But what we want the most is heaven. Now, here's the thing. What we're learning to do in this life is to become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And do you know who are the citizens of the kingdom of heaven? The humble. See, God wants to prepare us. He wants to make us like him. Now, do we remember what Jesus, how Jesus is described? Even though he was in the very nature of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to hold on to, but he made himself nothing. He emptied himself, took on the form of man. He took on the form of a servant. He humbled himself. Jesus did not come to be served, but to what? To serve. If we're going to be kingdom citizens, when we're citizens in the kingdom, we're going to be people who are humble and who are willing to what? Serve. That's what this life, I think this life is our training ground to teach us humility. The kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of darkness, it's all about pride. It's about me, myself, and mine, and I can lord it over anybody, and and I'll step on anybody's face that I have to step to to get to the what? To get to the top. The the kingdom of God is the exact opposite of that. It's be humble, come to serve, love your fellow man, love your neighbor as yourself, consider other people before you consider yourself. Walk humbly with your God. Humility is the signature characteristic of Jesus Christ. He is humble by nature. We are proud. He came to serve and not to be served. And so obviously the opposite of humility is pride, and pride is the source of all sin and is the worst orientation of our hearts. So how do we, how do we walk humbly with our God? I, I think it's very simple. I'm going to kind of bring this message to a close right here. I think the only way that we can keep ourselves humble is if we fix our eyes and set our hearts and set our gaze and our focus on who? On Jesus. And all the time that we can spend fixing our eyes and remembering who Christ is and remembering what he has done for us and, and thinking about the good things he's done and how merciful he has been to us, how gracious he has been to us, how he was willing to lay his life down ...for us, how he gave us life itself, how he he has invited us to have a relation... ...how he's done everything necessary that we've ever needed to meet the deepest needs in our life... ...forgiveness, eternal life, meaning, purpose, significance. This is what God has done for us. When we keep our hearts and our minds fixed on Christ, it will automatically do what? It'll humble us. When we put our hearts and minds on ourselves or our circumstances... That's what breeds pride. And pride is dangerous. It's so dangerous. So I'm going to ask our, our praise team to come up, guys, and I just want to leave you with this very simple application or whatever you want to, want to make it to be. The first thing that you don't need to forget is that a relationship with God is essential. It's first and foremost the most important thing We must have. Nothing else matters in the end without a relationship with Christ. God has made a way for that. He did that through his son. Secondly, he's he's telling us there are some very simple expectations that he's asking us to do. What are they? Do justice. Do what is right. Love what? Be merciful. And then walk humbly. So as we go, here's what I want to challenge you with. Let us humble ourselves. Because guys, here's the reality. If we are not willing to humble ourselves, I'm a living testimony of this. God has a funny way of what? He'll do it for you. He'll do it for you. I promise you it's a lot easier for you to humble yourselves than to let him do it for you. It's probably a better experience that way. Humble yourself. Pray that God would just sift out and search out and, and rid, rid, rid our hearts of any of that pride that may be, may be in, in there. We humble ourselves before God daily. Why daily? Does anybody else suffer from short-term memory loss? I do. I may, I may get it right today. I may get it right half of today. I may blow it this afternoon. I may, I may get it right tomorrow, and the next day I may I may blow it. That's why God says, renew your minds what? Daily. That's that relationship. We, we can't let those things go. We, we can't allow days and days and days to go without <coughs> us examining ourselves. But we do, I do. So it's a good practice to do this daily. Obey his word because obedience always brings what? Blessing. Joy. And obedience is better than sacrifice, right? And then let us be, I have a good friend of mine named Anthony Jackson. He and his wife started a church down in the Mississippi Delta, and the name of their church was Vessels of Mercy. And I thought, that's a cool name. Because we get to be vessels of what? Mercy because He has been merciful to us, we then can turn around and be merciful to who? To everyone else, to our neighbors, even to those who offend us, even to those who have hurt us. We can show mercy because of His mercy toward us. That's the only thing that's going to change the world. If we repay evil for evil, the evil never what? It never stops. But if we stop the evil in its tracks and overcome evil with good and show mercy and kindness to those who have wronged us, guess what? We stop evil. We overcome it with mercy. That's good news. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, guys. We're going to sing one more song today, and I just pray that you'll just let God take this message, whatever it is that he's used today to touch your heart, maybe to bring you to a place of confession. Maybe he wants you to repent. Maybe he wants you to confess. Whatever it is, I just pray the Spirit right now will do his part and that you'll allow him to work in your heart right now in the name of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, I pray that you will forgive us of our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil, Lord. Help us to forgive those who have sinned against us, Lord, as we accept and receive your forgiveness. Help us to show mercy to remember that it's never a wrong time to do the right thing. And, Lord, keep us humble. Lord, knowing that pride is so easily, it so easily creeps into our hearts and and our minds, Lord, and and I just pray that you will keep us humble and dependent upon you because we, we, apart from you, we are nothing. So, Lord, I just pray that you'll minister to us as we have need right now in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.